Hello, everyone. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you guests on a variety of topics of interest to you and your family. My name is Sherry Rice, and today we are going to be discussing organ donation. And my guest today is Janice Whaley, CEO of Donor Network West. Welcome, Janice. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, This is an unusual topic for us, um, and one, though, that is extremely important. It's not a topic that's discussed by the average person, is it? Or family members who need a transplant. Uh, Do you find that it's difficult for people to discuss organ transplants or really organ donation? Um, I think organ donation, I think a a lot of people are very familiar with organ transplants, um, but organ donation uh, involves um, obviously someone who uh, dies. And I think it's um, difficult at times for people to talk about death and decisions being made um, after death. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How did you become involved with the issue of organ donation? So I was in graduate school in Alabama um, almost 30 years ago, and um, I came across this ad um, that said, how would you like to be involved with saving uh, people's lives every day? So out of curiosity, I, um, you know, looked into it further, and I applied for the job, and got more information, and um, I come from a family background of service, and so I was contemplating uh, going into public health, and and this kind of uh, made me think about what I really want to do and how I want to impact people's lives, and so I just said, well, let me try this. Let me see, and I applied, and 30 um, years later, I'm I'm still in the same work. Oh, for goodness sakes. That is, and and it's obviously an issue that's become very important to you. Yeah, you know, the impact that it has on so many people whose lives are uh, sometimes uh, on the brink of being cut short because they had a virus, they had a cold, and it attacked their organ. Um, This is a human issue that, it, it, it's it's people from all different walks of life who um, have no control over what has happened. And so to know that I can give someone or be a part of helping someone see another day, um, being able to graduate from college, high school, um, you know, get married and have kids um, instead of losing their life because they needed an organ transplant, it just became really near and dear to my heart. And I've seen so many who have benefited and have lived very long years of life because of it and have been able to contribute um, to society. You know, it's amazing in my lifetime, of course, I'm in my 70s, but so we're talking about, you know, 1950s and forward, the steps and the, what we've achieved with organ transplants there. I wouldn't say they're routine now, but they certainly, everybody knows about them. And it seems that we are doing more and more organ transplants, but also with organs that we never thought would be trans, uh, transplanted, livers, uh, heart, et cetera. And uh, it's come a long way just in the 20 or so years that you've been doing this. 
Yeah, I would agree, and it has become become more commonplace. Um, it is the, uh, I guess, the treatment of choice for people with organ failure. Um, there was a time when I started when a lot of insurance companies would not cover organ transplants because they were still, quote, unquote, you know, um, maybe experimental in their minds. But now almost all insurance uh companies cover um, organ transplants, and um, obviously Medicare does for kidney transplants because there's a better quality of life when you get a kidney transplant versus being um, on, um, the, uh, on, on the dialyzing machine, uh, which takes so much time out of your, your, your week, um, and it's hard to um, be able to, to function um, after going through that type of therapy. So um, it is more but, common now. Uh, than give us a little more information. Part. Yeah, on uh, kidney transplants is, is probably the one that the layperson uh, has heard the most about. And a kidney transplant yeah. donor doesn't need to be somebody who has passed on. The, I think aren't the majority of kidney transplants somebody has chosen to give their kidney? Um, actually, no, but. A living uh, donation is, has taken off in the last um, several years where people can go and actually just say that, hey, I want to donate one of my kidneys, and there's a lot of tests that's done. So uh, in most instances still, people who may need a kidney transplant, for example, if I needed a kidney transplant, they encourage you to see if someone in your family can give you a transplant. Or, um, you know, if there's a friend that may also consider it. And so there's a lot of that going on. And it's really to bridge um, the gap that's there. You know, um, while we envision a society where everybody says yes to donation, um, uh, the demand outweighs the supply now. And so that's why mm -hmm. we have living donation and also uh, cadaver donation. Um, and it still mm -hmm. remains to be the, the most um, uh, uh, way of getting a kidney. And what do they mean? Uh, because we've all heard the word match. Are you a match? Do you need a match? What do they mean by that? Uh, and specifically, we hear it in terms of kidney. Uh, yeah, so there's um, what you call um, histocompatibility or tissue typing, where they match your tissues to make sure that you know, the organ will function in you if you receive it. And so it's a lot more sensitive than some of the other organs where you have to do this tissue typing, uh, uh, testing, and also obviously blood type is another uh, thing that goes along with it. And then the rest is more of the donor's uh, medical history, um, et cetera. Those things are taken into consideration. Um, but the kidneys, uh, kidneys, it's very important that there is a particular match because you kind of would know upfront whether or not that graft, that kidney would survive long-term in the recipient. And so the matching mm -hmm. is done to help with that. Mm -hmm. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and tell me about Donor Network West, um, where you're the CEO. Can you tell us a little bit about your company and and how it's involved with organ donation. Yeah, so Donor Network West is the federally designated nonprofit organ procurement organization. 
um, for Northern Nevada and Northern California. Um, we serve um, a little bit more than 13 million people, and we work with our local healthcare partners to recover organ, eye, and tissue uh, donations um, to help the people that are waiting. And so um, our work is in the hospitals and in the community too as well, in the community to educate people about donation, and then in the hospitals to actually evaluate potential donors um, and uh, follow through um, with getting them ready. And we're also involved in the recovery, the, the donor management and the recovery aspect of it as well, along with our surgeons that will come in um, to do the recoveries. Now, is that both living donors and cadaver, or is it just cadaver? Just cadaver, um, and we work closely with the hospitals on the recovery side of living donors, too, as well. Sometimes we're involved in that process where they recover the kidney, and it has to be packaged a certain way um, and then delivered. Um, but basically, the transplant centers um, are responsible for the living living donors. And you cover all of Northern Nevada territory. How long have you been doing that, Janice? Um, I think since 1986, if I'm not wow. mistaken. Yes, it's been a long time. But we don't do transplants in Reno in Northern Nevada. No, no, we, you do not. Um, and I don't know that that's a definitive never ever. Um, I think right. that, you know, there's an opportunity there. Um, the people that are waiting in Nevada, which is over 600 uh, people that are waiting in Nevada, um, either get their transplants in southern Nevada, um, but mostly in, in northern California. So um, Stanford and, and UCSF and, and, the, and CPMC, which are all transplant centers here in Northern California. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I read is that part of your mission is the development of organ donation as a fundamental human responsibility. Can you explain uh, that sentence to me that I find that intriguing, that it is a fundamental human responsibility? Well, we talk a lot about um, caring for others and uh, the awareness and the impact of organ donation has taken on a new level. Um, when you think about uh, 22, uh, 22 people dying every day waiting on a transplant and a list that is now um, over 106,000 people waiting, um, it seems to me that we are in a country where everybody seems to uh, want to help when they understand, when they're educated about um, what's going on. And so in keeping with, you know, we have this pandemic going on now, and we've also identified that there are a lot of people who now who have had COVID are now um, needing an organ for transplant. So COVID has impacted one of their organs, which is allowing them to need a transplant. And so we believe that um, there are a lot of studies that we've done where most people, I think over 80% of people that have been told would say yes to donation if they were approached in the right manner and that if they were given information about it. And so 
I feel we're a giving society, and I think it's, you know, our responsibility if for some reason our life is cut short in a manner that would allow for donation that we help someone else. Well, that makes sense. I'm an organ donor. It's on my license um, and have been for a very long time. Um, one of the things that your your data shows, though, is that those 600 people you talked about in northern Nevada that need are on a transplant list, the startling statistic is that the majority of those are people of color. And I think that statistic holds true nationally, doesn't it? Correct. Yes. Over 60% of the national wait list is um, from multicultural communities. Um, you know, um, healthcare, um, or, or should I say, basically, minority communities have a higher incident of diseases that cause organ failure. And um, it, it could be related to access, um, all kinds of things that allow for that to happen. And so, um, you know, there is a need for us to really educate um, the community, not just about donation, but also about taking care of your health um, so that we can, you know, prevent these diseases from getting to the point where people need transplants. But at the same time, also um, encouraging um, multicultural communities to donate. Um, although they make up 60% of the national wait list, um, Mostly in kidneys, um, they are not. They don't donate to at higher rate, and so it's very important that we educate them, uh, continue to educate uh, multicultural communities about donation. And you know, I, I don't think that there's a one way to educate every community. I think you have to customize. You have to know your audience. You have to understand what their challenges and and their their struggles are. And we've done a lot of campaigns that are focused on different uh, uh, multi-ethnic communities to ensure that the message is the right message um, for them. And so we're going to continue to do that um, because it's, it's obviously the right thing to do. Well, let's dive down a little bit into this, Janice, so that uh, we're real clear with the people who who will be listening to this. The mm -hmm. The majority of people on the wait list are people of color, but the majority of people who get transplants are uh, not people of color. And so there's a discrepancy there, but also let me ask really pointedly, can a non-person of color donate their organ to a person of color? Does that, from that match that we talked about, uh, oh, yes. can that work? Uh-huh. Yes, yes, so, it can. Okay. So a person of color can receive a kidney or a transplant from somebody who's white. Correct. Yes. That's yeah. That's a fallacy that it needs to be of the same ethnicity or race. Yeah, we 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 say that it is better and it could have an impact on long-term graft survival, but you know, it's it's not uh to say that you cannot receive from another race. It's just to say that um, you know, they've done some studies that have shown that it's a better match, but it does not have the impact that would say, okay, Janice, you can only get uh, a kidney from a, a donor that's, you know, African-American or Hispanic. No, that that's not true. So, 
so where is the inequity then? Uh, where's the inequity that uh, people of color, Africans, Americans, Hispanic, Pacific Islanders, uh, what are the barriers that occur for people of color? Who is it decides the priority on a transplant list? It The data feels a little skewed to me, but then, of course, I'm uh, a novice at this. But if the if anybody can receive, as long as they're a match, an organ from somebody, and 60% of the people on the wait list are people of color, but the majority of people getting transplants are white, it, the numbers aren't quite matching. Can you help me with that? Um, yeah, so there's, thank you, that's a great question. So there are a lot of barriers that come into play um, when you think about this. So first of all, supply and demand, that's one thing. And so that's why we encourage everyone to donate. Um, secondly, um, there are a lot of people even today who have been on dialysis who have never been told that they could get a kidney transplant. And it happens a lot in the minority community, the, the multi-ethnic communities where they didn't even know transplant was an option. So I think part of it is, our referral system, how our physicians refer minorities for transplant. And then when they get to transplant, um, I think there's been some progress, but they had some very standard um, protocols that they would follow that would disadvantage minorities. One of them is how you're able to take care of the transplant afterward. What is your support system? And so, obviously, in minority communities, sometimes that support system looks differently. Um, but some of the questions that were being asked um, did not um, help the, uh, the minority person to be able to be put on the list. And so I think there has been an, a concerted effort to try to change that process um, because it was allowing for decisions to be made uh, that did not allow for people of color to be put on the list. Um, and so that's um, a lot of the challenges there. If there's um, issues with it uh, being a second language, English being a second language, or wondering how they would make their payments for their um, medication, if things were not clear, uh, they seem to have been at a disadvantage over someone who was white who may have that perfect picture of, I have insurance, I have this type of care, um, you know, et cetera. And it just doesn't look that way for minorities, but it doesn't mean that they cannot successfully be transplanted and have that second chance at life. And so there's some well, unconscious bias and right, things that, right. yeah, need to look at. Well, who um, t Talk to me about the priority, the list, the wait list. Who makes the decision who goes to the top of the list? Who makes the decision on who gets a kidney? Let's say we have uh, a kidney that would be a match to five people. Who makes the decision who gets that kidney? So a lot of it has to do with the tissue typing that I talked about earlier, where they want to make sure that they have a certain match before they actually use it with Kidney transplantation, 
um, it's a little different than the other organs in that you may, um, it's more on your waiting time. And if you're having trouble uh, with access for your dialysis, it allows you to get more points uh, on the list. Um, and, and people talk about the top of the list, but it's really hard to determine that with kidneys. It's really based on the best match possible and also, mm -hmm. you know, your, your access. So if you're someone who has been on dialysis for five, six years or better, and now they're having difficulty with your access to where they do the dialysis, um, sometimes they will give you more points to get a transplant because you're running out of access sites for your dialysis treatment. Um, and so I don't, I don't want to get too uh, clinical. I don't want to lose the audience. But, um, you know, people wait for kidney transplants up to sometimes 10 years. Um, the mm. supply, again, is, is the challenge. Mm. And especially if they don't have someone who can donate within their family or their friend's circle. Um, and mm. obviously friends. If they donate, they have to be a match. They have to have the same, you know, blood type and all those other things mm -hmm. have to be in place. Yeah. So, so let, me, let me ask, you though, yeah, because, ahead. you know, we have, in my brain, I see this group of people sitting around a table. Are they part of a committee? So who's, you know, once you have a good match, is it is there a committee? And then the head of the committee says, okay, Mr. Smith gets the kidney that I, I think that trying to visualize who literally says uh, Mr. Smith you you get the kidney or is it the doctor that says it yeah so there is a group of people that uh, of healthcare professionals that on the front end get you listed and I talked a little okay. bit about the, the you know, there's a, a psychologist, there's a social worker, there's several people that are going to make sure that once you're put on the list, you're capable of following through with everything that goes along with the transplant. So then once you're put on the list, now it's wait time, you know, depending on your points, depending on your, your health at the time that you're put on the list. Um, you could get more points than someone who is just not as sick and, and needing a kidney transplant. And then where the organ procurement organization comes in, Donor Network West, what we do is when we have a donor, all that information, the tissue typing, the blood type, is put in a computer. And then the computer tells us who is priority based on match for this particular kidney. And that's who mm -hmm. we notify. That's who we notify. And then the physician, based on the health parameters of the donor, makes a decision for their recipient as to whether or not they will accept it for their recipient. So this so group of people, the healthcare professionals, that includes it sounds like many modalities, social worker, et cetera, yeah. on there. If if sixty percent of the people on the list are people of color is at least 60% of that committee of color? I do not know the answer to that. That's a great question. And I, I unfortunately, I don't know the answer to that. I will tell you. I mean, you, you know that. what I'm getting at, Janice. You yes, know what I'm getting yes. at. Is we, we should need people on that committee that are Pacific Islander, Hispanic, 
African-American that understand their cultures, that when they say that they have a support system, they know what they're talking about. Exactly. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I would hope that that would be the case. Um, but I think that some of the challenges that we've had are are due to that because the questions yeah. were worded in such a way that it disadvantaged um, minorities. Yeah. And most people that uh, that are not of color, i.e. white people, don't understand how the wording of a question or what somebody is asking can literally skew the outcome because it's, it's mostly designed for uh, somebody who has been raised in a system um, that has white privilege and white people wouldn't understand that a question can skew something like that, especially when it's about saving someone's life. Absolutely. You know, these Absolutely. are, these yeah. are t- tough, tough issues. Um, and, and there is, as you say, uncautious bias. I've been doing a few podcasts on health inequities and this is a major health inequity, don't you think? Yes, it is. And, um, you know, recently over the last two years, it's really been brought to the forefront um, that, you know, the lack of access. And um, Mm -hmm. so I think that um, as we move forward, my hope is that, you know, the the necessary changes are, are being made to, um, close the gap here because it is a large gap. Well, I know that, that you're very uh, committed to reversing this trend. What is, what are the steps that Donor Healthcare West are doing to reverse it, both from uh, education of more donors that are people of color, but also uh, educating providers? It, you said in a few minutes ago that there are many people on dialysis that don't even know that a kidney transplant is possible because their doctor never told them. So their doctor made a decision for them. Yes. And so Donor Network West um, does a lot of work um, in the community. And, you know, we all were uh, pretty, um, we had a hard time over the last year because of the pandemic, but we were able to pivot to um, a virtual a virtual platform where we able we were able to continue to educate um, the public. More importantly, it's it's making sure that when we have the opportunity to approach a family about donation, um, that we have the best person to communicate with that family. Um, mm-hmm. At times, you know, um, I I'm I'm a firm believer that like requesting sometimes is important because if there's a language barrier, um, you know, that family may have a hard time understanding what's put before them. But if they have somebody that speaks their language, then they're able to uh, understand better and build trust in a relationship with that family with regards to um, donation. And so uh, we are attempting now to look at how we can put brochures about donation and the different dialysis clinics, too, as well. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. also from the the transplant side, which is not the side that we're on, there's an opportunity to further educate and for nephrologists to to be more aware about, you know, the opportunity and provide that, refer their 
um, their patients to transplant centers for transplantation. And so our work mm-hmm. largely is on uh, the side, either in the hospital, which we prefer to educate people before they are in the hospital about donation because it it is a better time where they can really understand um and you know you and I know what that when a tragedy hits you know your mind is not necessarily on something like this and so we right. that's why we have a lot of efforts within the community to educate them so that they can make a good decision um a decision about donation prior to anything happening um and that's the best time and that uh, leads right. me to the registry where we encourage people to register to be a donor and to tell their families well, August is National Multi-Ethnic Donor Awareness Month. Um, we're almost done with August, so can you share some of what you've done this month as far as a campaign uh, for multi-ethnic donor awareness? Yeah, so we've had several, um, I guess I could call them webinars, but Zoom events where um, we've featured um, different uh, multi-ethnic groups and talked about donation. We um, had a Hispanic, um, I don't want to call it a podcast, it was a webinar that talked about Hispanics and donation and transplantation, um, and we had healthcare professionals um, that were um, Hispanics um, to actually lead the podcast and share, um, you know, their stories and educate people about donation uh, on that particular one. And then we had one that focused on um, the African American community and uh, you know diseases that largely impact the African American community and uh, what just basically to educate them about that and plus donation again um, we've done um, several things with all of these groups we had an Asian American um, webinar too as well and so we try to target and represent the population that we serve with educational aspects throughout the month. And so these are led by our um, community um, specialists who actually um, educate out in the community, and so they're able to um, encourage people to attend these uh, events. And prior to this, we did the same thing in person, um, sometimes at churches, um, health fairs, and different um other type of settings where we're asked to to be present and and support um, and provide information about donation. Mm-hmm. And so this is a so, national effort, though it's it's uh-huh. not specific to Donor Network West. And so there are times right. where we partner with other OPOs to get the message out uh, too, as well. Um, and there's literature and different things that are provided to us. Um, to, to be able to do that. So how how do you educate someone to have that conversation within their family of uh, signing up to be an organ donor? Um, it's a very sensitive subject, and I'm talking about uh, within families, and then maybe we can also discuss uh, the conversation that your staff have with families that are, that are in crisis in the moment and have a loved one that uh, is going to pass away 
when you're approaching them about uh, organ donation at that time. But let's talk first about how just within a family unit you start that discussion. So I think we we add in talking to your families. Even if you sign up to be on the registry, it's important to tell your family because a lot of times, you know, we've had people who have signed up on the registry and their families didn't know and because of lack of education, they were resistant to supporting the wishes of their loved ones. And so we always say, you know, sign up to be a donor and talk to your family. Just tell your family that you want to be a um, a donor. And so I have a personal experience with my mom, who is almost 89 years old, who because of, you know, just myths and misconceptions initially she told me I'm taking all my organs with me I you know I need them (laughs) and so it was the funniest thing and I and I said mom you don't need your organs and there was a slogan a long time ago where people said don't take your organs to heaven heaven knows we need them here and so at the time I told my mom that and she laughed, but she just, she's like, no, there's just something squirrely about that. I don't think I want to do that. And so fast forward now, she's, you know, knowing that I've been in the field this long, she's like, okay, if, if you can use something, you can go ahead and have it. But it didn't start out like that. And then when it came to me, um, she was like, well, I don't know if I can donate your organs if something happens. And I said, well, I'm a registered donor, mom, and you, you, you know, I've already made that decision for you, so all you have to do is let them know at the time in case they forget that I wanted to be a donor. And so, you know, these conversations are very hard to have. Um, even when mm-hmm. I was having it with my family, it was just a little awkward mm-hmm. because, you know, you're talking about death um, and right. dying. You know, my mm-hmm. parents were like, well, I – we 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 should go before you go. And so just thinking about it sometimes makes people be uncomfortable. And so we just think that you're educating more people about it. If you tell your family, maybe there's a family member who's never thought about donation. And by you mentioning it makes that decision too as well. Um, and so it's, it's about really spreading the word and, and making sure that everyone around you knows so that it makes that decision easier when when and if that time comes mhm so you you brought up your mom's age so one of the questions i have is are you ever too old to donate i mean i i'm an organ donor but i think well at my age i suppose i think my liver would probably be in good shape cuz i never drank that much but um you know at my age would somebody want an old kidney i mean i do you get what i'm saying it's like yeah are yeah. you ever so that's a- that's a great question. And, you know, we went away from age and more of evaluating your your organ function, your overall health, when and if that time comes. Um, about a month ago, there was a 93-year-old donor, um, not here, but at one of the OPOs, Organ Procurement Organization, and they were able to donate a liver. Um, for someone for transplant, and the liver is functioning very well uh, in someone. And so we, we've we moved away from, um, you know, 
talking too much about age and not putting limits on it because people are living longer and not longer. They're taking really mm-hmm. great care of their health. And so we just say sign up to be a donor um, and we'll evaluate at the time. But there's been a 93-year-old. There's been a, I know of a 92-year-old. And oh, I know people in their 70s. Now, it's usually livers and sometimes kidneys. Kidneys tend to um, take the first hit in the aging process, um, but there are a lot of kidneys that we have used that are uh, that are older, too, as well. So, Well, that's good to know. That makes me feel better. Let's talk a little bit about your staff when they go into um, a hospital setting when there's been a tragedy and... Um, to talk to the family about organ donation seems like an incredible response, responsibility. It really does. What type of person does well in that position and what experience and training uh, do you require of them? Yeah, so a lot of them are do have um, medical social work backgrounds or um, have a background in, in um, psychology um, sometimes, and some of them just for good nurses caring you know for families um they're not necessarily all nurses but we have some that uh, are nurses by trade and choose this this role and so it really just mm-hmm. takes someone who has patience understands and values building relationships um and building trust um and there's no time frame around this process you have to meet right. the family where they're at. And so we take the approach, it's called dual advocacy, where you're advocating for that donor and you're also advocating for that recipient. And in that process, you empower the family of knowing what their gift can give to someone else. And so um, we talk about um, people who have received transplants um, with the you know the families at times um and just empower them all their power has been taken away when their loved one has been put in the hospital that everybody is telling them what is going to happen and this is the one right. thing that they can have the power back to choose to help save someone's life and so we operate on that angle with all families mhm so how does someone sign up to be an organ donor? I did it through my, at the DMV. Is that the most common way? Are there other ways? Yeah, you can you can uh, go to the DMV um, and or donornetworkwest.org and tell your family and friends about your decision. Um, but basically, um, either the DMV or uh, donornetworkwest.org. And, and this health inequity, Janice, that we've, been talking about for the last few minutes mm-hmm. the discrepancy for people of color what what would be your suggestion for people of color how they can help change this and then what would be your suggestion for people uh, of non-color to help change this because we're all in this together and I think we all need to yeah. to take a look at how we can help change the inequity yeah I agree um, I think the most important thing is to have the conversation. Um, There Mm -hmm. are a lot of misconceptions out there, and they're very prevalent within the multicultural communities. Um, We know that there is a a sense of distrust 
with the healthcare system at times. And so we hear often that, well, if I sign up to be a donor, they're not going to try to save my life. They're going to take my organs. And we're not mm. even <laughs> thought of in the middle of that entire process. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's things like that where we have to have discussions and we have to help people understand that it doesn't work that way. We can't just take organs. There is a system in place and there are certain steps that have to be followed in order for us even to be involved. Um, There's another rumor that I'll share about someone waking up in a bathtub of ice and and there's a note that says, call 911, one of your your kidneys has been removed. Well, you know, what would anybody do with that kidney? Um, because there's there's no, you know, blood typing done. There's no uh, nothing to be able to connect that kidney with someone. If, if a kidney just showed up at a hospital without a name or anything on it, I don't believe there's any surgeon that would put that in someone not knowing anything mm-hmm. that could potentially actually kill someone. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Um, just having those tough conversations and and getting it out and, uh, you know, making sure that people are not fearful about donation and that they understand the process so that they can go forth and try to squash these rumors that have been around for quite some time. Um, I think that's how we build a society that understands donation and helps us get to where we want to be, where people see it as, you know, that last gift that 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 is their responsibility, um, and that is to give the gift of life. Well put. Um, misinformation is one of the primary topics these days, and uh, what I hear you saying is that there is a great deal of misinformation about organ donation and that that's really partly what you would like to clarify and get the correct information out to people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Janice. Um, I appreciate all the information. I know that for myself, um, you've truly educated me today and I'm sure also Jackie, who is taping this uh, for me, very valuable. Can you share one more time, how someone can become an organ donor. Um, you can sign up to be an organ donor um, by uh, uh, registering at the DMV, or you can go to donornetworkwest.org and sign up as well to be an organ donor. Perfect. We've been talking today about organ donation with Janice Whaley, CEO of Donor Network West. I want to thank you, Janice, for being a guest and giving us all of this wonderful information today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to uh, to access other podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please wear your mask still. I know we're still in this pandemic, and um, I'm an advocate of vaccines, and I hope that everybody gets one. Thank you for listening.